0: What's going on beautiful podcast family what a privilege and honor to be with you as always i hope that wherever you are on this planet that you're doing fantastic We've got an amazing episode of the show for you today. We have Jesh DeRox and Rasuli on. these. This is a fantastic episode. These two uh, have recently uh, released a podcast of their own. They go back and forth really well. Uh, they're both incredible people. Uh, Rasuli is basically this incredible artist um, and kind of like a Sufi. And Jesh is, is uh, more of like a consciousness explorer, um, diving deep down the rabbit holes of meditation, mindfulness, and also technology and many other things. So they're both incredible people. I love and enjoyed this show. I'm going to get them back as individual guests because um, both of them are extraordinary, and I'd love to just have one-on-one chats with them as well. So in this show, we, we cover a lot. We talk about uh, why feeling it's is its own language. Um, we talk about replacing thought and emotion, uh, the example of the, ta- the table tennis match. Choking, uh, the story of TM Hoy, which is amazing from a previous uh, podcast. The importance of developing a rhythm, why our human greatness relies on cooperation, the power to respond to pain creatively, why pain is a gift, and a wake up call, why ignorance is a cause of fear. Holy smokes! I'm going through. We talk about alchemy, uh, knowledge applied creates wisdom. This is. There's so many show notes here. There's so much amazing content. So uh, I know you're going to enjoy this episode. And if you do, please share it because I recently recently had all my work taken off of Facebook. I got banned from it. Uh, Everything gone. So huge bummer. So now I'm going to be looking at putting everything in-house so that doesn't happen again because obviously I don't trust uh, Facebook or YouTube or any public platform anymore. Um, So if you want to support, please uh, share on Facebook. I have a new account with nobody over there, no friends, no family, no like, no followers, none of that, and that's okay. But please share it on your Facebook, Instagram, wherever you can to help get the word out. Really need the support now if you can. Um, what else? Uh, sign up for the email list at mattbelair.com to step to date. Also, become a patron if you want. That helps immensely even if you just toss a buck in the bucket. You can go to patreon.com forward slash Matt Belair and that helps immensely. The best thing you can do to support the show though is uh, one kind act wherever you are in the world. Just do one kind act and uh, that's the best way to support the show. So now that I'm also going a little bit uh, you know, underground, if you go to linktree forward slash Matt Belair and you just put the dot between the R and the E on linktree, you will find telegram and a discord and uh, some other things. So I'm finding solutions to go underground. And um, for those of you who want to um, join the academy and you wanna learn a step-by-step master system for overcoming self-sabotage, strengthening your connection with spirit and designing and living, the life of your dreams, Uh, check out the Soul Compass course, which is included in the Academy now, or you can apply for one-on-one coaching if you're really serious about leveling up. Um, I would love to work with you and help you get crystal clear on your life vision, how to strategize it, create a plan, and really execute on your dreams. I'm working with some incredible people right now with a different variety, a different background. All of them just want to be of service to humanity, live to their fullest potential, and uh, sometimes we need to Get really, really clear on that vision first. Um, other people already know their vision and they want to scale, um, you know, help scaling it up, leveling it up, and uh, figuring out how to make a living from it. So uh, if you want some support, just hit me up, MattBelair.com forward slash coaching, and would love to work with you and hear from you. So that's it. Let's uh, wrap this up by coming into a state of peace and coherence. Wherever you are in the world, just stop what you're doing, take in a deep breath in through your nose, hold that breath. And Just let it out slowly, filling every cell, every muscle, and every fiber of your being with peace, joy, contentment, enthusiasm, inspiration, and ready to take on this absolutely amazing episode with Jesh, DeRox, and Rasuli. Hello and welcome to the Mastermind Body and Spirit Show. I'm your host, Matt Belair. Today, we have two incredible guests for you. Our first guest, Jesh DeRox, is the founder of Kindred, a modern form of meditation that allows participants to regulate their emotions and learn to create specific feelings such as peace, joy, and even glory. He is a speaker on consciousness, the formation of culture, and creative genius who has spoken in over 35 countries. Our second guest, Rasuli, is a visionary artist published author, and creative guru whose paintings have been featured throughout the world. He also guides, retreats, and shares his approach to creativity in talks, radio, TV, and films. Together, they are the hosts of the Wisdom of Madness podcast. Welcome to the show, Jesh DeRox and Rasuli. Thank you so much for having us.
1: Thank you for having us.
0: Uh, yeah, guys, I'm so excited to get into this. I got to look at your work. Um, I'm, I'm really curious about what you guys are working on. Um, I could interview you both separately, but it's nice to have you, you on. So why don't we just um, start with a little bit about your backgrounds, how you got into um, you know, your work, and then why you started the podcast and what you hope to uh, accomplish and what, what you're um, yeah, trying to just spread to the world there. Because both of your work, is, uh, they're, they're both very interesting, uh, very heart-centered, and um, just happy to have you on.
1: Well, when I was born, right after I was born, there was a flood. And that flood just rolled me across the world until I got here now. That flood was that energy that I have no idea where it came from what happened. So no decision under any circumstances for anything that I did. All it was is surrendering to that flow. And that's how I got here.
0: That's your whole background story. (laughs) That's amazing. (laughs) That was the most succinct background I have ever heard, especially for somebody who's done (laughs) such an amazing work and is very accomplished. Uh, Do you want to add anything else or are you fine with that?
1: Uh, Well, you know, I, I don't think bio means much to me. What I am now. At this moment, uh, what I am now at this moment is what has value to me. So as we're discussing things, I introduce myself as I am now. But what happened to me 20 years ago or 30 years ago or 15 years ago is irrelevant. This is what I am. That has brought me to what I am now. And that's what I want to share. My bio is me as I am right now. Beautiful. I'll accept it. Josh,
0: follow that up.
2: (laughs) Yeah, so Rusuli is a pretty wild character as you might be able to discern so far and I love wild characters. I've spent a lot of my life exploring why some people grow so wild and it does seem to be a pretty strong correlation between the people who go far from regular culture and the people who be able to um, who end up being able to contribute a lot to culture and even form the culture to come. So having studied people like that a lot of my life, I ended up running into this particular wild character almost 15 years ago now. And we just had an instant bond. We both recognized each other. And he's been an incredibly beautiful person in my life. Uh, very formative. We've had nothing but amazing conversations since, since we met. And in studying the growth process, one of the main things that I've found is that when we say we grow, what we really mean is that we see things differently than we did before. And those changes in the way that we see only happen through conversation. There's many different kinds of conversations you can have. You can have conversation with friends or with a mentor or with an author or with a painting from 500 years ago or with yourself or with God or whatever you want, but there's still some kind of a circuit that's involved. It's you connecting deeply with something else and there's an interchange of ideas and inspiration, et cetera, et cetera. So I have deeply benefited in my own journey from being able to connect and have amazing conversations with people like Rasuli, And he's one of my favorites. He's, he's one of the best friends I've ever had. And our unique relationship has um as i said been a big part of my life and about a year ago i decided you know what these conversations change me so much they benefit me so much we've got to start recording these because it's a pretty interesting mix of where he's come from which is a flow that's been happening for like 70 years apparently and then myself who i describe it differently and that's kind of the beauty of us is we really bring a lot of different aspects to the table but we're really joined at the core, which is that we love life. We love getting to to explore it and to share it, and we're both deep into, into joy.
1: You know what? What uh, is the most important to me? There's a word that Sufis use, which is "sohbat." Now, in sohbat, is a is a sort of relationship which builds through the heart. It's being in the, in each other's company, uh, but rather than thinking what he says or what I'm saying or anything like that, we just remain in the flow of the conversation. So, Sohbat is really what I enjoy doing and, and, and uh, and I love to do, and so is Jesh. So, Jesh and I usually, we have sohbat. And the whole program that we have, and we call it Wisdom of Madness, because it is about madness. It's not about thinking and rationality and taking notes and figuring out what I'm gonna do or what what I'm not gonna do. Uh, I wasn't even aware uh, until uh, Jesh woke me up uh, about 10 minutes ago. to get me here for the conversation. And that is, this is what Sohbat is all about. It's being in the flow of each other's present. As you are in the flow of another person present that you're not challenging, you're not arguing, you're not discussing with, but you're just sharing heart with, things build up. And there is so much in the heart that we're not aware of that Somebody else's connection with your heart uh, opens it up and allows it to be heard or or somehow expressed. So that's the relationship that that Jesh and I have.
0: That's beautiful. You guys brought up a lot right there. and it's interesting you started the podcast because of that, because that's why I started this a few years ago. I only had a couple friends I could really explore deeper questions with. Um, you know, I really am curious about some of the bigger questions in life and you know, what's, what's possible. How do we live a good life? How do we connect to those feelings of um, joy, peace, miracles? What, what is possible for an individual and also humanity? And so you guys are speaking a little bit about flow and, um, your work revolves around creativity and expression and my question my first question would be how do we get into states of peace and joy and actually be in them to live in them because the mind is constantly giving us reasons to get out of that and you know we're not in states of joy and peace and love and compassion most of the time most people anyway if you can be in those states more often that's a very beautiful thing and then The second question that goes along with that is, how are we able to do that in challenging times? You know, Rasuli, you've lived a lot longer than we have, and we're in some challenging times now, but history has always had challenging times. And so my question with, I always have with flow is the balance between flow and intention, right? Like I always equate it to snowboarding, where if I want to perform a move that's very advanced, I need to intend to land that and and put my will and direction. But once I've left the lip of the jump, once I'm flying through the air, it's almost the surrender piece. The same way to create when you create a piece in art or you you move toward the podcast or you do something like that. So I see it as a balance, and I'm curious if you guys could speak on that. Uh,
1: See, the ingredient for creativity, ingredient for life is – Three things, to be free, to love, and to surrender to the energy of the universe. If you have those three, you have a good life. And that good life means that you're living not in a way that other people has to- have told you to live. You're living the way that you want to live. And the way you want to live is to be free. If I'm not free, I cannot live the way I want to live. And I have to love what I'm doing. I have to love everything around me. And once I have been free and I love everything that is around me, I can surrender with joy to life. And this is the process, the ingredient that we need to have in order to have a joyful life. Whether it is during the, you know, COVID-19 or whether it is just regular time, uh, we need these ingredients, all three of them. You cannot have one without the other. And you have to have it in the same order. First, you have to be free. Then you have to love. And then, at that time, you'll be able to surrender. Surrendering is the most difficult thing. Surrendering with joy, accepting the pain as much as you're accepting the joy. That is a true surrender. So if, if there's a pain, and I say, oh God, why me, why me, why me? That means I'm not surrendering. I'm not surrendering. So... Our conversations, Jesh and I usually get into these type of discussions, where we can flow in life freely, when we can surrender to whatever, whatever is coming around us.
2: I think from my particular take on it, one of the most important things I learned about those different states of mind you were referencing is that Every single one of them is generated by our own mind and body. And even though that might seem obvious in a certain way, we don't usually act like that's obvious because we tend to we we tend to think of we tend to think of those kinds of feelings usually as, as uh, situations that happen to us so that we, we become very attached to certain locations or certain people or certain events in our life where we felt those emotions, where we felt those strong feelings. And uh, because of that, we will many times develop addictions to those particular things. And we will think that we will only be able to access those states if we have those. And the truth is, is that every single feeling you've ever felt in your entire life was completely generated by your own mind and body. It's literally a chemical combination that's in there. And it's in your brain, which is just as much a part of your body as your hands. And so you could literally even think of the feelings as a body part. It's just a body part that we don't know how to use very well. When babies are babies, they don't know how to use their hands very well and their hands are just these random elements doing stuff, but most of it's not very helpful. Then they learn how to use their hands on purpose to be extensions of their will. And a very similar thing is possible to happen with the feelings. And that's one of the big things that I study And the meditation technique that I've uh, created is specifically designed to help people mix their intention and their will with their feelings, to use their feelings as, as extensions um, of their body. As I said, because we can't see them, we, we tend to attach them to these external experiences. And I think another big piece in there that's been really fascinating for me to observe is that we also think about feelings in ways that don't really apply to feelings. Uh, feeling is so much of a different language than thought that in a certain way, it's kind of like antimatter matter and matter or feminine energy and masculine energy. It's two halves of something, but they're each in a certain way opposite of each other, which is why it's very difficult to talk about feelings. And the culture that we're in is largely constructed of thought. But even though it's constructed of thought, our bodies themselves have a really deep need for for, for these feelings. So a lot of culture still does dance around constantly, this idea of feelings. And when you look at who we spend our time with and why we chase what we chase, you can always directly link that back uh, to feeling.
1: Interesting that you brought up the subject of feeling and thought, because these are the two sides of a coin and they can be completely destructive of the other one when when the thought comes into your mind the emotion goes away there is no feeling whatsoever thought takes over and it's all in the hand of the rationality but when your feeling your emotion begins to express itself then that replaces your thought and that is how i paint The moment a thought comes into my mind, I have to replace it immediately with my emotion. And the emotion is, for me, emotion of love that I have experienced and I'm experiencing in my life. So I put myself in that zone of of feeling. And the moment you do that, then you're gone. And that is how you can go to sleep. You don't need to take pills. All you have to do, the, see, thought is what makes us not go to sleep. You start thinking, and you think, "Wow, I got even even putting gasoline in your car tomorrow morning becomes a big burden." So thought keeps on expanding, expanding, and doesn't allow you to sleep. So if you really want to go to sleep, all you have to do. Imagine something. Put yourself in your emotion. Even if you cannot imagine some experience that you have had in the past, Im- even imagine a movie that you've seen that you enjoyed. Imagine yourself in a park. Imagine something. And the moment you go into that zone of imagination, you fall asleep with that beautiful imagination.
2: I wanted to jump in too and answer your question about this mixing of intention and, and feeling, because I think that is a really, really powerful one. You were talking about when you want to do a snowboarding move. Sorry if I'm saying that incorrectly. That You're doing like a trick or a move or whatever. And you have to think of which one you're going to do, and then you have to put all of your energy into it. But um, there's this book I read one time that was really fascinating about this master table tennis player from England who went all the way to the Olympics. And he ended up, um, he was like a world renowned player. He, he had won all through Europe, but when he was at the Olympics, which is kind of like the height for a lot of, of people, his whole country was watching him. Millions of dollars had been spent on him. He ended up choking and he got like slaughtered 21 to zero or something like that and he was so bothered by this how could he have done this you know training his whole life and been a master and then in this moment he choked he wrote a whole book about choking and and what actually happens when when people choke and he said the latest sports psychology basically suggests something exactly the same as what rasuli was just talking about which is that when you're practicing you basically have to practice as if your life depended on it because it's the only way to motivate yourself enough to work as hard as you have to work to get that good, to be at that level. But then when it comes to game time, when it comes to the time to be at the Olympics, you have to just completely have fun as if this outcome didn't matter at all. And that's why there are so few peak performance athletes is because they basically have to master these two completely opposite things. Like this is life or death. You know, this has to happen this specific way. And then when it comes to the game time, just completely let go. So in Rasuli's example, he has this thought. I mean, he might describe it differently, but from my point of view, he's got this this idea that he wants to paint. If he was just all completely form as in his mythology, flow as in his mythology, he wouldn't even care about what the paintbrush was or where the cup was or anything. He would just be an amorphous... Gas you know flowing through his house or whatever, so and from my opinion, I see a little bit of form there, and I see that he has an idea at least that he he wants to express this feeling in his heart through a paint brush and through a canvas, and that to me would be like the intention that you're talking about, so to me, the most powerful moments of life, and even going into the zone, like is a popular thing in sports uh, talk. It's a mix, not of just feeling and not of just thought, but this union between those two opposites, which creates this flow state. So you have to have this structure of some kind of a a form or else what are we even talking about? But then having the flow inside of that form is really the element that starts to make that magical component between the two. And I actually think, as I was saying, thought and feeling are those two opposites. You could also interchange those words for form and flow. And even the beautiful human body illustrates those two things. The skeleton is not sexy. Nobody would ever fall in love with a skeleton. It's the structure, it's the bones of it. But if you were to remove the skeletal structure from the sexiest person in the world, they would instantly become non-sexy by anybody's imagination. They'd just be this big plop down there. So to me, thought is the bones it is the structure it is is the form that's giving this a context that's giving this some kind of a a container but that flow has to be in there and i think the body illustrates that really beautifully and i think all of the most beautiful moments of life also illustrate that i would go so far as to say if we're not in balance in those particular moments we're not really really living and that's why i say i study joy because Joy, to me, is the feeling that your body gives you. It's the sensor, it's the indicator that says you are in a balance of form and flow right now. Because when people are feeling joy, it's not just happiness. I'm sure you could attest to this, being somebody who's been in those peak performance states. It's not necessarily happy that you feel when you're rushing down that hill at a billion miles an hour headed towards this jump, that could be the last thing you ever do You probably wouldn't say I'm so happy right now, but there is this thrill of being alive where you're like, this is why I was made this. This is so real. And this weird saying that we have, that's, um, I feel so alive right now is a really strange feeling when you, uh, when you think about it, because, it clearly indicates there are different levels of life. There are different, there's a scale. And sometimes we feel that we're alive and based on the rarity of that statement, it's actually not very often that we're really feeling our life. And so for me, that's what I've explored are those moments where we know we're alive and those always happen in the balancing points of those two.
0: You, you, oh, let me chime in for one sec. I want you to get in here, but you, you guys both brought up such brilliant points and i love how you illustrated that and you know i think with rasuli's art and his example uh between flow is he learned the skills of painting and art right and that's the bones and then when he goes to express that he's in the feeling and so if i say it's in basketball and i'm explaining it to a kid you learn how to take the free throw shot you clear your mind you intend it to go in but you want to generate the state And the the key for people choking too, that illustration was fantastic, but they put, they go into the competition and they're in their head. Now they're in their thoughts and not in states of being not in the present awareness. And you need to come back to that present and that's the most powerful state you can be. And so it is both worlds and that's what people need to understand. And um, I'd love for you guys to chime in, but I wanted to give an example that um, came to my mind about freedom. You know, how important is actual freedom because there's experiences in the world that are very challenging. And I've heard about people going to jail and, and having awakenings. And there's this example that I, I had this guy on my podcast, TM Hoy, and he spent 16 years in a Bangkok prison. And he told this story about, uh, you know, he almost died several times. It's intense. Uh, but he told this story about how he was on this uh, – truck truck bed and, and there's this tribe that lives out in nowhere and basically they were taking they were they were harming this tribe and this he had this tribesman and um he told him he's like hey he didn't understand english but he understood a little bit of thai so he could communicate he said where are you going he's like well you're gonna go to a prison and and you're gonna be stuck there because they've kind of just taken you and uh he he, w- he had to tell him that and he was so sad that he had to tell him what was happening because he didn't understand what was going on and you could see it in his face. The tribe, I can't remember what tribe it was. I'll find the episode, but it's the one with T.M. Ahoy. And he goes, he, the immediate thing that happened was he was so sad that he had to deliver the message. So he wasn't sad about what was happening to him. He was sad for him feeling bad for delivering the news. And that's when, uh, you know, the guy in the podcast, T.M., he was just like, his mind was blown his mind, he's just like, I couldn't, I, I can't imagine there can be a state of being like that. And so when I look at the world and, and we see some rights being restricted, we look at history when people are opposing their will on another and taking away freedom. And I get reminded of Viktor Frankl's book who, you know, went through the Holocaust and he said uh, something along the lines that the last of the human freedoms is our, um, is how we respond or our right to choose. I'm going to find that properly but you guys know what i'm talking about and so that's what i think about freedom and so if they do take your rights away about like the people have gone to prison and had an awakening or or society coming and taking that freedom away um can we still achieve those states does does the philosophy still apply because there are um restrictive forces in this world and ideally want to move towards um freedom but when that happens can this still apply
1: okay (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> it's a bit convoluted but go for it
1: <laughs> too many too many of too many of the things but the first thing that i want to go go back to is the structure that jesh talked about and um and i think that would be connected to the freedom that you're saying now because structure is the limits that we create for ourselves. Um, So that relates directly to the freedom as well. Now, there are two ways of developing the structure. One way is through rational thinking. One way is through the heart. If you want to develop a structure through rational thinking, you have to have the knowledge of what you're doing, have the right measurements, everything that you need. You need to measure the person that you want to make a dress for or whatever. Now, if you do that through your emotion, all you need to do is develop a rhythm. With your emotion, you can develop a rhythm. And that rhythm is the structure that you create for yourself. I develop a rhythm through my behavior, not through my knowledge, not through what I read. It's through how I do things. And I become more attentive to it. As a Sufi, when I was a child, I was trained as a Sufi. And one of the first things that I had to do was to for a whole month, was to think, when I say "I," who is that I'm representing?" When I say, "I love you," when I say, "I'm hungry," when I say, "I like to do this," who is that I?" That's how we can set up a structure for ourselves Through the emotion, through recognizing that how I do things, you know, when I'm, when I'm painting, I have no idea what I'm doing. The canvas is in front of me and I get a rag, I get a piece of rag, put it in a paint, whichever is somewhere close that attracts me. And I begin something on the canvas. And then I put that rag down, get another rag and take another color and fill in the spaces that it's not been painted on. Now I have these two against each other. And a game begins, a play begins between these two colors, red and blue. They begin to play. Red throws some behind the blue. Blue gets the help from green to come and help to do this. And and it's a whole game that I'm developing through a rhythm that I'm doing on the canvas. It's not about thinking. It's not about rationalizing. It's just developing a rhythm. Unless you have a rhythm, you're inconsistent. Otherwise, babies, kids are the most creative that there is no consistency, there is no rhythm. This is what we need to develop. And this is, I think, when we deal with a freedom, uh, same concept works with it. Freedom is not to have unlimited anything. There's a lot of freedom, a lot of, in fact, there's more to having limited things to be free than unlimited. So developing a rhythm allows you to, to have the limits that you want to set for yourself in life.
2: I think from, from my take on it, the first thing that came to me when you we're speaking about that man in the prison is yeah you do have people like Nelson Mandela you know who went through extraordinarily restrictive spaces and somehow came out of that way more badass than when he went in and that would not be the common response that most people would have to those scenarios. Uh, Victor Frankel, as, as you were saying, also an incredible you know, example of somebody who deeply explored that whole thing. And I think that's kind of the, even the Gandhi thing, that's kind of like the most famous meme at this point, be the change that you want to see in the world. Like it's inside you. That's what people say all the time. It's inside you. And I think that's true, but I've really been obsessed with trying to put it into a simple form what is inside you and why and and how exactly what does that mean because it's it's clearly not clear if it was everybody who went into jail would come out and they would be Nelson Mandela that's not the normal reaction that most humans have and when I have really looked at the root of why what's been really powerful for me to notice is that most people will accept the the meaning that has been handed down to them and they will respond to that meaning. And a very few people will create their own meaning from the situation. We have humans who uh, have very deep biological drives to be similar to the others, to agree with others, to accept what the others have, have passed to us. And this is a really important function because if we didn't have that, there would be no technology. Technology is basically the best ideas and learning that somebody else had. And you're just agreeing to it and you instantly get access to all of these incredible uh, breakthroughs and and years and years of, of searching. Even here, like I'm in London right now and I arrive in a city that I did nothing for and it's already here for me. There's a transit system, there's a food system, there's houses, there's electricity. I walk into this house that I'm in and it's like, well, I'm alone. No, I am not alone. I am literally surrounded by by the genius ideas of thousands and thousands and thousands of people, let alone the people that are laboring just to make this massive machine work. So humans are very, very interconnected. It's, it's one of our most defining characteristics. You pit myself against a lion, I'm gonna lose. <laughs> but you pit me and 30 other people against a lion and the lion has no chance. It has absolutely no chance. That has been the greatness of humans from the very beginning. And that requires a, a large focus on agreement. However, if all we ever did was agree, we would never explore. We would never find the new thing that is beyond the past agreement. And so again, we see this interplay between these two systems, the system of agreement and the system of, of non-agreement. And the, why the non-agreement system is so rare is because it almost always alienates everybody else. And you almost always get kicked out of the tribe, so to speak. So why there are so few outliers is because they are literally risking social death to be an outlier. And often social death is directly connected with physical harm or decreasing quality of life or actual death. We're in a time now where being an outlier is less likely to get you actually killed. Uh, but it still happens sometimes. There's a person right now in Russia who's an outspoken you know, critic of the government there who just apparently got poisoned for doing that. So it, that's a very clear example of something that's happening right now like that. So this is the mix that we have. There's this part of us, a deep biological part, that, that wants to agree and wants to just accept. And that's such a driving force in almost everybody that it becomes a subconscious taken for granted type of a thing. And that will work until it doesn't. And when it doesn't, that's when we run into frustration and when we run into pain, when we run into self judgment, when we run into shame and all of this other stuff. Pain to me is a signal that tells your body you need to switch from the reference mode you need to switch from the shared agreements you already have into the creative mode, which is the exploratory mode into non-agreement, because your sum total of agreements got you to this exact space that you are in. Your sum total of knowledge got you to this space that you are in. You now need to change. And in response to pain, a lot of times, People don't go into the creative mode. They go into defensive mode. They go into shame mode. They go into hiding mode. They go into coping mechanisms of all kinds. And that's where things really, really get dangerous because there becomes a prolonged period of that pain. And pain is not meant to be a signal that, that is, is prolonged. So it, it is a very deep subject, you know, but when you look at somebody like a Nelson Mandela who finds themselves in this structure and in this form where he doesn't see another outlet, most people are gonna respond to that pain uh, through the animal-based instinct, which would be to fight it, to run away from it, or just to pretend that it doesn't exist. Fight, flight, freeze. That's the main response that most people have to pain. And to me, the outliers that contributed a lot, the the singular most important difference uh, looking at them is that for some reason, they were able to respond to pain creatively. That's why you have someone like a Nelson Mandela who was in the same situation as millions of people on this earth have been in, all their freedoms, all their rights taken away from them apparently, and yet somehow uses those 30 years to grow this extraordinary badassness. You have a completely different example of it in somebody like um, uh, Stephen Hawking. And here's another person who had this bright, brilliant life ahead of him on this upward slope, all of this kind of stuff, and then had this debilitating disease, which was a prison very similar to the situation that Nelson Mandela was in, except the prison was his own body. And he has this extraordinary quote where he says Though I cannot move my body, and I can only speak to you through this computer. In my mind, I am free. And so we circle back to this first thing that we were talking about, which we will usually associate the feeling states with external experiences. But the truth is that all feeling states, all feeling states are completely generated by our own body, by our own mind. So even though it is very rare, it is possible to learn how to generate these internal states completely separate from the agreement of our past experiences and of our culture. Culture is basically a lot of things other people into that we're handed to. And when part of culture, we just agree to that. So this ability to look at the culture that's handed to us, look at the circumstances that we're faced with and not see what everybody else sees is the essence of what creativity is. It's also, the initial step of any new advance. You have Albert Zientskyorsky, who discovered vitamin C. He says, discovery consists of looking at the same thing as everyone else, but seeing something different. Another way of saying that exact same thing. So for me, and this is why meditation is, is an interesting topic here, The main piece about meditation is that it asks you to pour attention into the one place that almost nobody pours it into, and that's inside rather than outside. Most of us have 99% of our attention poured on this external world, which is an important world, but it's not the source of the world. The source of the world, the source of culture, the source of the feelings, the source of all of it is actually in here. And so most people feel very powerless in their lives in a lot of circumstances because they're trying to change this thing that's already been made rather than going right up to the source and and learning how, and this is not a short process. You becoming a master snowboarder, not a short process. It takes at least as long as that to learn how to be excellent with your feeling states. But for most of us, we're not taught almost anything about it. So we're like two or three day old snowboarders, even when we're 40 or 50 or 60. And, and so many of us are like that, that we just kind of take it for granted that that's just the human experience. And it's like, no, that's the common human experience But people like Mandela, like Hawking, like Yortsky, um, they tell us there is
1: another way.
0: Beautiful. Do you want to add on to that, Rasuli?
1: Yeah, I'm going uh, to stay with pain a little bit because uh, pain is one of the greatest gifts that we have received. Uh, without pain, there is nothing that we can do. There's going to be a pain for doing something. That pain is going to be a pain of longing. See, when you begin to develop a pain of longing, that makes life exciting. You jump out of the bed. This type of pain is what we need. But pain is needed. When I have a pain somewhere in my body, pain is telling me that something is not working. Now, if I kill that pain by some means of chemicals, I have not really killed the pain, I have imprisoned it. And that pain is gonna expand in other parts of my body. That same thing happens in every aspect of life. Pain is a, is a wake up call, is something that tells us to attend to it. So when you have a pain, in your life, in anything, that means that you have not attended to that properly. The greatest pain that you can imagine is a pain of losing a very dear, close person. That pain is a big pain, but that pain also is telling you that instead of having lost your close The person that was so close to you now you are in that person or that person is in you so you become that person you behave like that person and you don't miss the person anymore that that transformation takes place through pain so pain of longing is is the greatest thing we could have but pain of grief is the worst thing because grief deals with what i've lost what i've what i'm missing that i don't have anymore but longing is a pain that tells you that this is what you're going to have to enjoy life longing is a pain that builds us up rather than grief that is a pain that is behind us and constantly puts us into a nostalgia, which is the biggest pain of our society. Because if you're lonely, we can somehow fill in your loneliness. And if if you are in solitude, you live like I do, you're one with everything, with the whole universe. But when you are nostalgic, It's painful because you're living with the past. You're carrying your past with you. And that is a big burden. So pain is necessary for life.
0: Wow. Well, you guys are definitely um, very deep and I love it. Uh, Just thinking about these concepts. What I would ask is when we look at the world and how it is and how it changes um i think fear is one of those big forces that limit what we're capable of uh, as individuals and as well as a culture and i'm curious what would you guys implement or change in the world to help create a civilization where we have peace where we have freedom where we have growth where these states that many masters and and teachers before us have told us about you know that there can be peace there can be joy there can be compassion and from those states uh, peace in communities arises naturally you know we have chaos and war and oppression and greed from power and yeah. disconnection from self and the mm-hmm. environment and source because if you know everything you need is within you you don't need to go rob your neighbor you don't need to set up systems that harm you don't need to limit the capacity of another uh, person because you have a fear of competition and so the question is what do you guys uh how do how would you guys suggest people deal with fear in their own lives because a lot of people don't want to be creative because they're afraid of, of being judged and and or the second question would be what would you change or implement in the world so we can move toward a civilization with more peace harmony and cooperation
1: Okay, Jesh, uh, can, I, can I go ahead with that one? <laughs> um, fear is the whole word. I love it the way you brought it up because, see, fear is the opposite of love. When there is fear, love leaves us. And when there is love, there is no fear. So we've been fed constantly fear. Nobody is feeding us love. The fear has built up so much that the only way, the only way, the only way to get rid of it is through love, is through beginning to love what we're doing, through beginning to love right now, this moment, as I'm sitting in here, talking with you is the greatest moment in my life. I have never had any other moment that I can recall or I don't hope to have a moment for the future where I would be in this present situation, no matter what it is. See, if we build up these living in the moments, the next moment and the next moment and the next moment builds up. And that gets rid of the fear by our emotion of seeing beauty around us. If we don't see beauty, we cannot get rid of fear. Beauty attracts us. Beauty makes us enjoy life. So fear is, you know, uh, we have to fight fear against love. Because it's not love and hatred. It's love and fear. Fear is our biggest enemy. And to get rid of fear is to live in the moment. Not remembering the past and not planning for the future. Right now, especially with COVID-19, we are in a condition that we cannot plan anything based on the past, or we have no idea what happens in the future. So instead of letting them run our life and decide for us, we can decide for ourselves. If somebody asks me to give, give, give them a, a, a particle of my life, my, my, my body, like my hand, my head, whatever, I won't give it to them, no matter what. Unless they need it, like they would be very dear. But I won't give something for free to anybody, but we're given our mind, our brain, free in the hand of other people. And now that we are so limited in our physical world, it's the time for us to get rid of that, and begin to plan for ourselves. And planning for ourselves is to live in the moment. Enjoy this moment. When I'm painting, the greatest work of me, my masterpiece, is the painting that I'm doing right now. This is the greatest work that I have ever done and I ever will do. But tomorrow, when I start a new painting, I don't even remember what painting I did yesterday. Living in a moment means no judgment, no comparison. And when there is no judgment and no comparison, there is no doubt. And when there is no doubt, there is no fear. Just love every moment. Live as if this is the last moment of my life. And when you live that moment, you take advantage of everything around
2: you. I think for me, two things come really strongly in, in reply to your question. And the first is why is there so much fear? I think, in a single word, ignorance. And there's this famous story of Jesus who had this really bad day and a bunch of people killed him, it was not going well for him and he's there like about to have his last moments and one of the last things he ever said is father forgive them they know not what they do and to me that is the single most accurate description of humanity of anything i've ever heard of we know not what we do so it's not really that we're horrible it's not that we're evil it's not all of these things maybe that happens sometimes in certain moments but i think the base hashtag for humans would be hashtag ignorant (laughs) And you see a direct causal relationship between ignorance and fear. And you can even think to a time when you were a child, for instance, I was deathly afraid of the vacuum cleaner. Every time that vacuum cleaner came on, you know, it's a super loud sound. It has this powerful sucking thing at at the end of it. And I was fascinated with it, but I was also terrified of it. And It's been a minute since I was terrified of vacuum cleaner. And what happened now that I'm not afraid of vacuum cleaners versus as a child, the ignorance was removed. The more that I ended up learning about what the vacuum cleaner was and that it was not in fact possible to suck my soul out of my body and enter into a deep black abyss from which I would never return, the clearer that I got on that information, the less afraid I became. Of the vacuum cleaner, and now the thing that I was mortified of, and thing that would send me into a complete animal state, is a regular tool that I use all around my house to make it a better place to live. It increases my quality of life. So I would suggest a very similar thing of every single thing that we are terrified of, and that is, a that it is a problem of ignorance, certainly, and b that once that bridge of that ignorance is, is crossed, then the thing that became, that was our nemesis, that was our, our deep enemy, doesn't just disappear, it actually ends up becoming a beautiful ally, <laughs> just as the vacuum cleaner was a monster and now it becomes a very valuable tool around me. And that is in fact, from my perspective, the very purpose of creativity. Creativity means to change one thing into another thing. And there's nothing more creative you can possibly do than change an enemy into a friend or, or an ally. So people say paintings are creative. They say music is creative, but not all paintings are creative and not all music is creative. So why, why is some and why isn't another? And for me, it's because of the transformation that's inherent inside of that process, which is something that Rasuli is, is such a master of. He's a master of changing opposites in, into the opposite uh, thing and when you do that the plus into the minus you get the full circuit you get that movement again that, that we're talking about and so i think number one what can we do in the world i think starting to really pay attention to every single thing that we are afraid of and really notice it because again the normal instinct to fear mm-hmm. is going to be fight flight or freeze And that's a part of what they call the reptilian brain, because they're basically the exact same responses in a very similar mechanism, even anatomically, that lizards have. That's why they call it the lizard brain. And lizards are incredibly good at one thing, survival. But lizards haven't changed much in the last few billion years. Because that's not what the lizard brain is for. It's not for changing. Lizard culture has stayed pretty darn similar over the last few billion years. You don't see a lot of big advances coming from them. So this ability that humans have to advance, to take advantage of 30-year prison sentences and come out of it with this stunningly different brain than anyone else had, that's not coming from lizard brain. It's coming from this other piece that is creative. And... So the first thing I would suggest is to really grow your awareness of the pieces that you are afraid of, because of those three things, fight, flight, and freeze, none of those include awareness. All of those are some form of making the thing go away, either by destroying it or by running away from it or by pretending that it doesn't exist. And the most common of those three, in my opinion, having studied humans as long as I have, is the third one we just pretend it doesn't exist or we shove things in our mouth or down our throat enough to forget that it exists, but it's always there in the morning. <laughs> that's, that's the problem is once that pretending to, it to not be there is done, it, we still have to deal with it. And even you could say, well, fighting it is perhaps a superior thing because then at least it's destroyed. Even when you're successful at fighting it, if you do destroy the enemy, you don't get a friend. So it's actually a much more powerful thing to learn how to befriend these things that we fear and turn them into tools. Taking this vacuum cleaner example that I was saying, if I had gotten to a point in my life as like a six or seven year old where I wanted to overcome my fear of the vacuum cleaner and one time while my parents were sleeping in the middle of the night, I came out with a hammer and I just bashed the heck out of that vacuum cleaner. Yeah, maybe I wouldn't have to be afraid of it anymore. But there was going to be consequences from that. And one of the consequences is that my house would be more dirty than it was. And so I think it, it takes a really brilliant, beautiful kind of a mind to look at the thing that is horrifying to everyone else. The animal instinct says, get away from this as fast as you can, as far as you can, and go towards it instead of away from it. And that is fighting the reptilian instinct. And most people are so controlled by those base instincts they don't even know they're making that decision they just run there's this famous story of this guy who was in the alps i think on vacation with his family two kids i think will ferrell's making a movie about it right now but basically an avalanche starts coming and his instinct kicks in (laughs) he just runs leaving the mother there with the two kids it's not very funny i'm sorry i'm laughing but it's a little bit funny and uh the, the whole situation afterwards of like, they ended up all okay. The avalanche went in a different direction or whatever. But now the mother has to know that when, when the shit falls, this guy is just going to jet. And that situation is very, very common in a lot of our lives. It's just that most of this running away is happening invisibly in our heads. And there's no one there to call us on it. There's no one there to call us on it. There's no one there to notice it. And so that, again, is why I'm so interested in meditation. It's not about sitting in lotus pose and looking cool or, you know, taking a picture of yourself and posting it on Instagram. I was just meditating all all this morning. Okay, I get it. It's popular now because it's kind of trending or something like that. But the whole point of it is that you're supposed to build your relationship of awareness with yourself so that when your very natural animal instinct kicks in to do fight, flight, or freeze, you go, thank you, but no thank you. I'm instead going to opt for this creative exploration. And just to say one tiny little hint about that, and it's a subject we could literally talk for days about, but how does a person start going towards the thing that they're terrified of? And I think Rasuli mentioned it, and it's very, very powerful. And that is one of the main differences between us and lizards, at least to the degree that we have it, is the capacity to see beauty. Beauty is the thing that has always been the reason why we go into the face of the darkness, why we go and you know go towards the, the, the monster when everybody else is, is run away. Beauty is always involved in that. Beauty is always deeply linked to mystery. There's just always a strong connection between beauty and mystery. And for me, that is, it's almost like the rising star of the human experience It's this capacity to see a beauty. When you have somebody like Martin Luther King in a horrible, you know, fight for his very life. I mean, people forget that he wasn't just risking his life. He was risking his daughter's life. He was risking his wife's life on a daily basis. You have to have some deep kind of balls. You have to believe so much in, in what you're doing to be risking your family's life on a daily basis for that. And if he was just looking at the circumstances, he would have fought, run away, or just pretended it didn't exist like most people do. But what did he say? He said, I have a dream. And what he was talking about is, he was looking at the same thing as everyone else was, a horrible situation. And he was saying, even though that's there, that's not what I see. I actually see this beautiful, possibility in the future and all of my senses all of my body is responding towards that and that was clearly a thing that was inside of him it was not a thing that was outside of him and again that's where you get this difference between the outliers and everyone else is their inner reality is more real to them that's the thing that they're responding rather than to this external reality
1: Uh, I don't know how much more time we have, but I want to take an issue that I can finish it, you (laughs) know, sentence or two. Dream. Dream is life. Without a dream, life is meaningless. The true poverty is not having a dream. It's not about not having money or house or name or whatever. True poverty is not having a dream. A dream comes only when we can live in the moment. The dream does not come when we go back to the past or plan for the future. Those are thoughts. The dream is what we need. Don't repeat yesterday's thoughts as you've been repeating for, I don't know, we've been repeating, a thought comes on 80, probably 80% of a thought is repetition of yesterday's thought or, uh, or thought in the past. But dream is something that we need and we live with it. So dream on.
0: Beautiful. You guys shared so many points there that I'd love to discuss. I'll just kind of wrap it up um, as succinctly as I can. I'm just reminded, I think one of the really crucial things Rasuli said was uh, giving our minds away to fear. You know, one of the acronyms is false evidence appearing real. And we are giving our attention, which is the most powerful thing that we've been touching on our attention and our awareness outside. And it is disempowering us. It is disconnecting us from our own source, our own power. And, um, Jess, you said something brilliant when you just talked about, um, not sure to forget it now, but uh, I'll go back to the, the. I I just took a bunch of notes. I'm trying to make them succinct, but you, you talked about, um, knowledge and information. And I was giving my cousins or my nephew, sorry, swimming lessons. And there was a sandbar and he can't swim yet. And so like comfortably on the water. And so I took him out on a, on a floaty device and he didn't want to touch down now because he couldn't see that there was sand beneath him. And that is ignorance. He kind of like I'm telling him, so there's now information. And if you imagine information or knowledge as light, it, it gives you more possibility. It gives you more freedom. If he knew how to swim, he would have the freedom to go to the sandbar. If he had that, he would have, he would be overcome the fear of the water through knowledge and information. And so the more knowledge and information we can acquire, the more light that we have, it creates more possibility. Um, and so one of those things is context. It gives power and it gives connection to something greater, but that's your ability. That's your creation. And when anything is opposing or oppressing, it's always fear. Always, it's always some sort of fear. And it's like that is a disease, that is a virus. And the more we come in, the more we have freedom. The more we have power, the more we have connection. And there have been people who have touched this power that know it is greater than anything material. It transcends everything material to an to a exponential degree that's unthinkable. And that's the actual truth. But where you can get lost is the ana- analytical reality fear base and this oppression. And, once, and that's in the realm of thinking. And you yes. only get stuck in the realm of thinking. And that's where oppression and, and control can kind of come in. So um, there's a lot more that I wanted to share. Oh, the one thing, yeah, um, I'm reading the and When we're talking about emotions, um, it's really alchemy. And so most people think of alchemy as just the material world, but really the greatest alchemy, um, you know, for those who study the and occult knowledge, it's really internal emotional alchemy, transmuting fear into courage or love or joy or hope. And it's like energy, it's like fuel, it's like coal, right? The more of that you have and the more that you can transmute, the more power you have to express in the material world because you're continually alchemizing these challenges. Oh, and this is what you'd said about the meditation that's so important. We have these unconscious systems and patterns, right? To run away, and I remember seeing the preview for that movie, a lot of people would run away because they're not thinking, the body just reacted. And this is such a critical piece because that's where your freedom comes in. If your unconscious patterns um, and are are constantly making you fight flight or freeze we're, we're moving away from our dreams we're moving exactly. away from our capabilities we're, we're moving away from our impulses because we have these unconscious fears of being an outlier of failure of all this imaginary feel world that is not real and so when you train yourself to look at it and to overcome it you have way more freedom way more possibility way more power in this existence so um, if you guys want to yes. chime into that that's me wrapping up a little bit of the points that you guys shared that were so brilliant i wanted to share why i understand them in a little bit of a different way and for me it was through martial arts and sports and this meditation process and moving toward fear and then also having the discipline and the rhythm all of those things came together to create this understanding but you can find it through art through all these different other expressions through meditation through different uh, means but you'll kind of learn those same Uh, skills so you can apply them in your life. So do you guys want to chime in or do you want me to ask you another question?
1: Uh, I would would continue your conversation by adding that knowledge is great to gain, but knowledge has to be used. Knowledge has to be uh, developed through a person in order to become a wisdom knowledge by itself is meaningless knowledge by itself is like having a closet with uh, your clothes hanging in it yeah you have them, but when you need them you know it's a different issue but when we use knowledge in a practical way then it becomes valuable it would be like putting your you know clothes on certain clothes so what we are missing in our society more than anything else, we have, see we have gymnasiums for developing our physical body. But we don't have places where we can develop our mental being, which is really us. So the idea is to develop this wisdom. And wisdom can be developed through madness. Wisdom cannot be developed through rationality. Rationality has its own place for our physical body. But wisdom is for us, for the inner being that can use it. Wisdom is like the the sun, when when it rises, brings light. Wisdom is the sun within us inside of us, inside our brain, that is going to rise and give light to the inner being so the darkness would fade away from inside of us and we become the the element of light which we were born with. The whole concept is to become light. So. This is how we can develop that, through the wisdom of madness. And that's why we have our program called Wisdom of Madness, because it is not through rationality, it's not through calculation, it's not through making things that we can get, through, get to places. It is through becoming ridiculous. Becoming ridiculous is the great way of developing yourself. Because if you are not ridiculous, there is no hope for you. Ridiculousness is what we need to develop in ourselves. Freedom comes through being able to be ridiculous, being able to step out of the cocoon and become the butterfly. Enough of being a worm, controlled by the cocoon imposed by others on us. Let's break the cocoon and fly out. Become the butterfly. Become the...
2: Sorry. Sorry. Go Go ahead. I think attaching the beautiful metaphor he was just using to what we've been talking about, what is this cocoon? What is this thing that traps us? What is this thing that keeps us in the same place? What is this thing that we have to go so far away from that we'll be considered mad if we do. That is the culture that has been formed from this adherence to fight, flight and freeze, to this reptilian brain, to this animal instinct that we have. It is a part of us and it's an important part, but it's not the only part. It's not the only piece of us. And I really believe that the deep invitation of being a human is getting to really find out what all your pieces are and what they do and playing with different mixes of all of them. And this whole idea of of madness that uh, we're referencing in this idea of the wisdom of madness is the unknown, the chaos, what might be. Everything that ends up being form always starts that way. And you talk about alchemy, it's an amazing, amazing conversation to have. And what really is a human more then this incredible instrument that takes some things from over there and mixes them together and makes another thing over there. I mean, you look at everything that we do, and that's basically what we do. We are the great rearrangers. We have been rearranging shit since we were, you know one. <laughs> and we never really, really stop in some ways. But as I said, the, the great challenge is to, to use that powerful gift in service to our base animal instincts or to use that in service to this great mysterious dream of what might be possible. And it goes back to this old thing of choose this day who you will serve, you know? And there's a lot of different names that have been given to both of those dualities in a lot of different cultures. But for me, the clear invitation is, you're serving the past, you're serving Death In a certain kind of a way, you're serving what has been, or you're you're into what might be you're into the, the bigness and the mystery of the, of the unknown and Suli and I, in our own ways, are both deep, deep students and explorers of that mystery and for all of our differences, we have that in very 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 much common. we just we love the mysteries we love exploring them, we love swimming in them and That's a skill that both of us have learned to get better at over the great, you know, over the span of our lives. And I think that, you know, going back to this thing of fear, overcoming fear, facing fear, all of that is a skill. It is a skill that requires practice just like any other thing. And as you said really well, Matt, learning that skill opening up a whole bunch of possibilities for you It, it makes you more free it gives you more options and choices in your life so it's an incredibly valuable skill you could say maybe the most valuable of all skills to have is to learn how to be free
0: beautiful this has been amazing guys i've enjoyed this discussion Thank you. Very Thank you. much. I, I try to think about it, a nicer way to put that, but it's been an extraordinary discussion. Um, I really love your I- insights. You guys definitely are masters in your own right. Uh, what I'll leave it with. Is there anything that you guys wish that we had talked about or you'd like to touch on before we um, end the first one? Josh. Yes.
2: I just want to say, I think it's really cool that you've devoted your time and your energy to doing this. And I, I love that. The earlier part of your life the earlier part of your life you were focused in the direction that you were and you went so far in that and now you've taken that exact same energy and you're putting it into a completely new form that in is a very generous form because as you're helping yourself you're also helping so many other people and I just really want to commend you for that I think it's really really beautiful and it illustrates what we're talking about with this transmutation it's it's awesome. Thank you for having us.
0: Well, I appreciate that too. And where where can people find you as well if they want to check out more of your work?
2: I'm in a small flat in London right now. No, I'm just kidding.
0: <laughs> this is the address. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, well,
2: we're both on Instagram. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we're both on Instagram. I'm on Jesh Rocks and uh, Rasuli is on what's your instagrams at rasuli. rasuli art is that it
1: yeah rasuli art yeah r a s s o u l i art a r t yeah both you us
2: have just, sites as well.
1: if, if you just uh, you know google rasuli r a s s o u l i you'll get to my sites my books my paintings whatever rasuli r a s s O U L
2: I, and all those definitely. interpretive dances that you do, also, right? There's a lot of videos of
1: that. Yes, definitely.
0: Erasuli, <laughs> what did you wanted? Uh, anything that you wanted to chat about or finish up with?
1: Um, if I start, then it's going to be another hour. But <laughs> I just want to touch on this whole alchemy that you brought up. I just touch it, because alchemy, I could write a whole book on it. See, alchemy is needed in order for us to live a joy, joyful life. Alchemy is just like the practice of alchemy in the Middle Ages. You're dealing with copper. You're dealing with a surface that is... Uh, absorbent. It takes the light into itself. It's the ego that develops in us, wants to take everything for me. It's for me, it's for me, it's for me, for me. We become that copper. Take it for me. In order for the copper to become valuable, it's going to turn into gold. Gold is reflective. Gold is not taking anything in. Gold takes things, puts light into it, puts colors into it, puts vibrancy into it, and sends it back. Our life has got to develop through alchemy, through polishing the copper of ourselves into becoming gold to reflect. When you give You receive more than when you just get. Keep giving. And giving is not just money. Giving is whatever you can have. But we don't give for a tax write-off or give for something like that. That's not giving. Giving is to give from yourself. Give something that it's for me, I give it to you because... I want you to feel the way I feel good with this. This is what we're doing. This is why I write. And I'm just writing my 24th book. So I keep on writing and I keep on painting because through imagery and words, I can share what is living in a free life living in a surrendered life, living with love, living free, living free. And this is really where our services becomes important because I did not gain these because I want to sit down and enjoy. I gained these because I need to share with other people. It's the light that has been uh, has been getting the oil from... Environment, and now it's lighting up to spread the light around it for other people to benefit from that light and take their own journey. Rumi says it so beautifully. He says, Footprints lead to the shore of the sea. Footprints lead to the shore of the sea. From there on, no trace remains what we are doing is through having taken the steps we are sharing the footprints with you with with the world with whatever we can in order to get them to get you to the sea from there you're on your own at that point is when you are capable of of expressing your emotion. And when you express your emotion through rhythm, you have created masterpiece. That's the work of art. Having rhythm, emotion, and expression. And this is how we can change our life to be a work of art. Not just paint the work of art. Be it. Live it. And to live it, is to follow the wisdom of madness. Beautiful.
0: Well done, amazing. <laughs> All that's amazing. I was waiting for the Rumi quote to come in. So you remind me a little bit in the way you speak. So obviously you're okay. doing something right. Thank you guys so much for coming on the show. I appreciate what you're doing. I appreciate your work in the world. And uh, yeah, maybe we can do this again sometime. So thank you guys very much for being here.
2: Thank you so much.
0: Thank you. See you guys. Thanks for watching. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen. The absolutely incredible Jesh DeRox and Rasuli. these guys were amazing I really enjoyed this conversation if you want to support I got deleted from Facebook all my work it's gone so it's up to you guys to share it uh, leave a review in iTunes become a patron support the show if you enjoy it however you can it would really mean a lot and it's super super helpful if you do uh, consider joining the academy and if you want to do some one on one coaching just to apply for that at mattbellaire.com forward slash coaching but lots of stuff over there to help you really just get crystal clear on your life purpose how to design and strategize that so how to come up with a clear plan to make it happen and how to execute on it mentally, emotionally, and spiritually as far as peak performance and manifestation goes. So if you want some support with that, uh, mattbelair.com, you're going to find all that kind of stuff. Uh, go to linktree forward slash mattbelair because I'm going to have to go a little bit underground with my stuff, I think, or at least put it all in-house. So I'm looking at doing that now, all the YouTubes, all the all the uh, podcasts, because obviously um, they can just take it away in a, in a heartbeat, all that work, five years of work, just gone. Huge bummer. So that's it. Um, And remember, the best way to support the show is one kind act in the world today. So, thank you so much for listening to this show. All of my love, appreciation, and well wishes to you wherever you are. And let's come to a state of peace and coherence before we close this out. Wherever you are in the world, just stop what you're doing. Take in a deep breath in through your nose. Hold that breath. And just let it out slowly, filling every cell, muscle, and fiber of your being with peace, joy, contentment, enthusiasm, and ready to take on the rest of the day. So thank you so much for listening. We'll see you in the next episode.